0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Biff Bytes Podcast. Jerry, me here, and today we have an awesome solo episode for you guys. Uh, Adam Shear sat down earlier today and recorded an episode all about the EA tax designation. Uh, he has some great tips and tricks for you guys, uh, as well as some good life advice on why the EA designation is so important and how you can use it to help better serve all of your clients. So if you recently completed the CFP and have your site set on those next designation letters to add to your business card, you're gonna wanna listen to this and Adam will let you know why you might wanna consider the EA. Hey there, Biff BiffBytes community, it is Adam Sharer, one of your loyal hosts on the Biff Bytes podcast. And I'm coming to you at an exciting time in the Biff CFP season. We've just wrapped up another CFP exam cycle. And I just want to start things off by celebrating the effort of every candidate that sat for the exam, uh, regardless of outcome, because there are a lot of sacrifices better made in the process of getting your marks. There's a lot of extra hours and time management and tasks and trying to just keep up with all the other day-to-day stuff. So we're here first to celebrate the effort. Uh, Know that if you passed, we're proud of you. We're celebrating the win. If you didn't get that preliminary pass, there is a way forward. There is support and There are some great people in our community that can offer some really valuable insight. There are also really great programs to look into, one of them being the BIF review. We've had a lot of people that really connected with what we're doing over here. So if you're looking for a new CFP home for your retake, uh, we've supported hundreds of people that have retaken this exam and been successful and encourage you to just reach out to our team. So celebrating the effort first and foremost. The reason that I'm recording this, though, is one of the most frequently asked questions that comes my way throughout the year is, should I get my enrolled agent designation as a post-CFP pursuit? And now is around that season with people passing and moving on and, you know, putting the books on their shelves or maybe in their fireplace or the bonfire or the trash. um, People are thinking about what's next. And for many, it's going to be, I need a break. But for some, and I was included in this category, I'd already carved out the time, right? My time management was on. And after going through a pursuit like the CFP exam prep and the CFP journey, you do feel a sense of motivation and can-do attitude that can really propel you through the next thing. Now, often what people will say is that CFP is generally a, a broad designation. So it covers a lot of the different nooks in comprehensive planning but doesn't go particularly deep into any one of them. So it's not something that's going to leave you feeling like you're completely tax planning fluent or estate planning fluent or retirement planning, so on and so forth. But you're going to have a really strong foundation to now delve deeper and specialize in an area. And what I love about the enrolled agent as a post-CFP pursuit is that you're already starting with a fantastic foundation that correlates very closely to the first of the three parts of the EA exam. So what we're going to cover here today is going to be a little anecdotal, uh, share my experience going for the EA, what it meant, uh, what the time commitment was, what it's about, and then what you can do and some of the possibilities that are going to be available to you from getting these marks. So let's just start square one. What is the EA? (laughs) Um, The EA is the loan designation. It's the highest designation, not the loan. It's the highest designation uh, that the IRS offers. And what it allows the EA designation holder to do is to represent taxpayers before the IRS. You have unlimited representation rights, which means that pretty much regardless of the situation, of the person, um, of the audit that's happening, you can step in front of the IRS tax courts and you can represent a client, uh, which is, as I've learned in my post EA world, something that is very valuable, but not a ton of people do. <laughs> um it's, it's tough work uh, be representing taxpayers solely, uh, but that's really the crux of it. So there's only three other groups of people that are able to have representation rights in front of the IRS outside of the EA holders. It's uh, CPAs, attorneys, and uh, constantly voted as number one in terms of life of the party enrolled actuaries. They're the, the other EAs. (laughs) I joke. Um, but that's your set of four parties that can represent clients before the IRS. And, um, another differentiator about the EA is that unlike the CPA, which is tied to a state board and state continuing ed requirements, uh, the EA is a national designation. It's valid in every state, right? So some good stuff there. But I think the most important piece for people that are financial planners looking to step into the EA pursuit after their exam, after getting that preliminary pass, is that you now have the opportunity to go deeper in tax. And one of the core principles that we teach in the BIF review is that you only get stronger in your CFP preparation and in your training as a financial planner by becoming stronger in tax, because tax is the pathway to every other topic area that's covered on the exam. I, I place tax as the hub, and it, it just connects all of the different topics together because there's tax impact all over the place with your investments, right? What type of capital gains are we talking about here? Um, how do we treat ordinary dividends uh, versus qualified dividends? What is an unrecaptured section 1250 rate look like? What's the, the tax that gets applied to these collectibles that I sold, right? Uh, all of those are addressed with tax knowledge in investments. Same thing applies to life insurance, right? Um, how, generally speaking, is a death benefit going to be treated to the beneficiary? Uh, how is a death benefit treated in in someone's estate? Right, that's another tax matter. What happens if we keep that death benefit at the insurance company and let some interest accrue? What's what's the tax treatment there? So, there's a lot over there in general principles. Right, there's education vehicles, each of which have different tax stuff. So simple point is that the stronger you get tax-wise, I think the the more confident you're going to feel when inevitably tax matters come across your desk as a planner. And if you don't know the answer, you're going to have a really good idea of where to look because what you're going to see when you pursue the EA is you start to go deeper into the, the world of IRS publications and uh, and different communications. And there's just a ton of great knowledge out there. You're going to be quicker to know where to go to get the answer you need. Uh, So tax is the hub. You have a great foundation and you can really segue nicely into that enrolled agent place. So um, what do you have to do to become an an enrolled agent, right? So step one is you need a P-10 that's done through the IRS. There's a website for it. PTIN stands for personal tax identification number. And um, in order to get that, you're just going to have to gather up a bunch of documents and information and submit them electronically. And then what you're going to have to do is uh, get yourself ready to sit for the exams because unlike the CFP exam, there's no experience requirement. There's no education requirement. Uh, You just need to pass three tests. You need a PTIN. You need to pass three tests, and then you can get some extra paperwork done on the back end. There's a couple of uh, additional costs. You pass a suitability check, and then you're on your way. Um, So assuming you get your P-10 in place, you can then enroll in what's called the S-E-E. It's the Special Enrollment Examination. And the way the EA works is it's broken down into three pieces. There's part one of the exam, and these are taken separately. Part one of the exam has 100 multiple-choice questions. It's 3.5 hours. And you are going to focus on individual taxation stuff. The beautiful part of this is that part one is such a nice segue. It's, It's the connecting bridge from CFP exam world into your first big step toward getting those EA marks. As I was studying it, I was so surprised at how much I knew just from CFP work. Uh, so much of it translates. You, you end up going deeper and into more of the nuance, which is good. But I think what you'll find is that if you're starting your EA process, even a couple of years off getting your CFP marks, that there's going to be a lot of familiarity with that part one individuals exam. Uh, So part two is notoriously the most difficult of the lot. And I think the reason is in CFP world, uh, for us planners, there's generally less hands-on stuff as far as business-focused stuff goes, because part two is for business tax stuff. That's going to go beyond tax entity stuff and into... Uh, basis within an S-corp, the different tax treatments, right? Um, partnerships, uh, different things that are unique to businesses, business tax returns, the different filing dates, uh, different accounting methods and how those are going to work within a business and some of the requirements that are there. It's, I think it's safe to say that it's just less familiar territory for most people coming from our, our area of financial planning. And as a result, uh, I think business B, B is for the beast. This is the tough one. Uh, and it certainly was for me. Uh, I took the most time to prepare for it and uh, did find it was one of those where when I hit submit at the end of the hundred questions, I was like, oh, this could really go either way. Uh, but the last one, part three is for representation practices and procedures. It's basically about ethics and guiding principles and the rules around practicing as an enrolled agent out there in the world. And if you want to get a glimpse of what's really on that exam, uh, you can take a look at what's called Circular 230. Circular 230. And with Circular 230, it's going to lay out all of this stuff. The exam prep materials that I used basically mirrored a lot of uh, Circular 230. And it is... I think, safe to say that it's the easiest of the three. Now, you have these three. All three need to be passed within a two-year window. So if you're thinking about timing, that's the time requirement. You need all three completed and passed within a two-year window. Uh, There's a period of time each year where the IRS has kind of like an exam blackout period uh, as they're updating and improving the exam. Um, So just be aware of that. Oh, I want to say it's it's sometime in spring. Uh, it escapes me now, and I don't have that written down. But you can find that information if you're interested. Um, and here's here's a, a tip I got from one of my planning buddies that holds the EA as well that I think is worth sharing. In terms of sequencing, this does not have to be linear. You don't have to go step one, step two, step three. In fact, It's really wise for us CFP professionals to go from part one for individuals because we have that prior knowledge and because it's going to be a lot more familiar. I mean, even in this individuals piece, there's quite a bit about retirement and that is wheelhouse for us planners, right? Uh, There's quite a bit about estate planning that's going to overlap that stuff that you've prepped on and prepared for your CFP exam. Uh, So there's a lot of familiarity there. Start at part one. Give yourself, if you've done individual returns before, if you're very tax fluent, a month, month and a half. Um, I ended up taking about two months, two and a half months just because, I mean, <laughs> you know, nerd admission here. I was enjoying the process. Um, it felt good to be learning more and adding depth. And what I envisioned. Was bringing the EA into my little IRA or RIA, not IRA, my RIA and offering tax prep and tax planning services to the people that I worked with uh, with financial planning. And um, so I knew that that's where I was headed. It felt good to do. It felt like a lot of good, healthy forward progress. Uh, I think you'd find the same there. So about two months on average, right? Then you leap ahead to part three. So you skip over part two and you go to part three. And why is that? Well, A, because it's the easiest. I mean, hands down. Uh, if if we look at the EA pass rate, uh, they don't have 2022 numbers up that are shared. Uh, part three had an 83% pass rate of everyone that sat. Part one, surprisingly, had a 66% pass rate, but I do think that if we were to sample CFP professionals, that would be significantly higher. Part two was 74%, okay? Uh, but take my word for it. I think part one is, is, is easy street uh, with, with some preparation for people with the CFP marks. Uh, so you the sequence one, three, and then two. Save the toughest one for last. I think it could be really motivating to have two out of the three done and, and know that for part two, you can put in two and a half months, maybe even two months if you're going accelerated. I want to say I, I took about three months. So all in, in terms of total study time dedicated, I was able to add this thing uh, about eight months. It took me to get the whole thing and be in a place where I can use the marks and um, And then just go out there feeling a little more tax confident and uh, having the knowledge to then apply to personal tax preparation and doing some deeper tax planning uh, with the clients that I serve and uh, the students that I teach in the Bryant program, the Bryant CFP program at BIF. So once you pass all those, you apply for enrollment. There's a suitability check. I remember having to go get uh, fingerprinted. Again, a small fee there. And um, within a very short while, uh, you get a certificate that looks like it was, you know, off one of those old school printers from, you know, the early 90s. Uh, It has your name on it. Something to be proud of, something to put up on the wall. And uh, you do have to do continuing ed to maintain the license. And that's a a whole other matter. Um, I just went through my first license renewal cycle. And um, word of advice is make sure you're getting your two ethics hours every year of CE. Um, Make sure you're tracking with the amount of CE you have to do. Understand that even if your renewal date is the end of January, that your CE is supposed to be done by 1231. These are all things that yours truly did not do. Uh, I was able to get my hours, thankfully. I'm all good on that front. But it came out of nowhere. and what happens is, especially when you're receiving your EA marks within a continuing education cycle, your hours are prorated, like you'd expect. But trying to decipher some of the tables, I thought was harder than the actual exams. So um, if you personally have some questions on this stuff, you hold the marks uh, or the designation, feel free to reach out. We could talk it through. Uh, but don't do what I did. All right. So uh that's a little bit of the groundwork just about the you know what is this what does it look like what's the time commitment um really as as far as as uh, the the experience of it goes i mean this is gonna feel easy to you after the cfp exam and i'm i'm not even joking uh there's something relieving about not having to go all around that CFP domain wheel all the time and to really focus down into the details. What we share often with people in the BIF review is don't get mired in the unnecessary details to pass your CFP exam. But the truth is, a lot of those details actually exist in the real world. And knowing that nuance is going to allow you to better serve the clients that you're working with knowing that nuance is going to allow you to see some of those strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats in the client's tax world of their financial ecosystem, the personal finance ecosystem. So it's, it's, it's somewhat refreshing. You go a little bit deeper, but truly it felt, it felt so much easier to prepare for this. And I think it's a logical next step. I think it's a a nice add-on. And I'm seeing more and more people pursue this. And I kid you not, on a weekly basis, I'm hearing from people in my network that will reach out to me just saying, I see you have the CFP and the EA. Tell me a little bit about it. Do you think I should do it? And it's been uh, really exciting to see a lot of those that I've had conversations with over the past few years go on to get their marks and feel great about it and feel prepared to go out there and provide this tax alpha, right? That that's the the hot topic for a while is all right, with with the the advent of robo advisory, a hybrid approach, you know, uh some of that investment alpha gains above the market gains might not be as front and center, right? So where do we add the value? And I think that on the tax front is a great place because taxes are mightily confusing. We have an enormously tough task in trying to take this hodgepodge IRC, the Internal Revenue Code, and applying it to our client's situation in a way that's understandable for them. That makes sense. Because you know what? When the IRC was created by the legislators, they weren't looking at the big picture. And that's why it's kind of a mess. (laughs) <laughs> but you add a ton of value to the table by being able to do that, and um, I think this is going to be a great path for you if you're looking for the next thing. Uh, some others that are out there that I've seen people pursue, I've seen some people go for uh, RICP uh, for retirement, or you know, a, a more specialized, super focused designation in divorce matters or philanthropy. But I think for us financial planners, the appeal of, of tax is that it affects everyone every year, and it could lead to some really valuable conversations with the people that you're serving. So that's all of it in, in a nutshell. I encourage you to look deeper into, uh, into what's out there. Oh, and, and the most, the mo- I almost forgot the most common question I get on this is what provider do you use, right? It's very similar to CFP in that regard, that there's a list of providers and, and everyone kind of finds their provider and they use it um, just saying, I, I used two providers. I used Glime. I remember them running a, a deal and I had heard of their name before. And then I ended up adding on passkey. And I found that uh, Glime added a lot of depth. Passkey felt to me a little bit more on par with what I saw in the exam. And passkey has fantastic instruction. One thing I really appreciate as a teacher in the financial world are other teachers who are so clearly passionate about helping others through teaching them. And the instructors over at Pasky, I thought were fantastic on that front. Uh, Christy over at, at Pasky, get in touch with her and her team. Uh, they have a really great curriculum. I found it easy to use. It's all pre-recorded. You could kind of work at your own pace, um, but also found some value with the Glime stuff that definitely added depth. Um, and there's, there's others that are out there as well. And I've talked to plenty of people, that have used, uh, you know, Sergeant for Sergeant for for instance, uh, or Wise Guides, right? These are all of the other providers out there. Do your research. Um, if you have some thoughts, feel free to reach out to me because I'm having these conversations. But part of the spirit of this was, it's happening so frequently, and I think it's a great thing uh, for people post CFP to just continue that forward momentum and dive right back into it and, and add a bonus designation on there. Um, so that's all I had to share today. Uh, again, congrats to, to everyone for this CFP cycle. Uh, if you have more questions about the EA designation, uh, please get in touch with our team. Again, we're happy to talk it through. And until we meet again, for all those of you getting ready for the July exam, uh, start stretching. Right, do some of your warm ups. Get your head in the game. Uh, we're going to be going after it. I know in the BIF Review classes formally start on May first, I think, uh, or at the very beginning of May. Uh, but we're we're quickly heading towards that next season, uh, and excited for you, and super excited for everyone that got the preliminary pass and excited and encouraged for those that did not get the preliminary pass because here's here's a little secret that I'd like to share and I mean you know no offense to those that get this thing on the first try I think that is an amazing achievement to be able to step into an exam that is that rigorous and challenging and demanding uh and get it on the first try in my experience People that go for the retake, they learn the stuff. They learn how to use new strategies, but they learn a lot about themselves in the process, right? There's a lot of reflection that goes on, and some of those victories over the years, you know, people stepping in there on the fourth attempt and getting their marks, uh, you know, third attempt after after going for it and going for it, when it finally clicks, uh, it is something that is is worthy of of great celebration. And um, you're going to get there. So think about coming over to the Biff crew uh, if you're looking for people that are going to be really engaged with you and on that journey with you and uh, supporting you in the ways that you need to be supported, especially when you're going for a retake. That said, folks, uh, take good care. And I hope to hear from you very soon. Uh, Keep an eye out for more Biff Bytes episodes. Coming up, this is your loyal host, Adam Scherer, CFP, E-A signing off and getting back to uh, some tax and stuff Whoopie! be <laughs> uh, take care. I'll talk to you soon.